This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. We're going to go over everything that happened at day three of the Senior Bowl with a guy who you're very familiar with here at Turn on the Jets Digital. In fact, he has appeared before on the Jet Take with Kyle Fahey and Ben Blessington, but also he's appeared with me a couple of times. If you remember, we did those quarterback shows last year leading up to the draft, and he joined me to break down the analytics of these quarterback prospects. He's got an analytics draft guide coming out soon, too, and we'll get into that a little bit later. My personal favorite analytics guy, Mr. Jim Coburn. Jim, what's going on, man? Uh, Nothing much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Jim. I always love having you on because I feel like I've elevated my IQ about 10 points every time we chat. Thanks for taking the time to come on and talk a little senior bowl with me. Let's go position by position because I know that you observed a bunch of different things. Let's start with the quarterbacks. I've been talking to Clayton Smarslock the last two days, and he shared some observations, and some people have said, well, it's the Jets. They don't really need to worry about quarterback, but as I keep explaining, they do need to worry about quarterback because there could be a quarterback that they like in the mid-round that they might want to draft as a potential long-term backup because we don't know what Adam Gase thinks of Davis Webb. Also, these quarterbacks that could go high could get pushed up and push some players down to the Jets that they might not have otherwise been able to get. One guy in particular you had some interesting observations on was Daniel Jones, so I wanted to hear about that. But go through everything for me if you could, Jim, involving the quarterbacks. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I think the quarterbacks in this particular uh, senior Bowl were not the strongest. I mean, this isn't exactly like last year in terms of, uh, you know, having Mayfield there. Uh, but I do think there are a lot of quarterbacks who can bring backup potential, like you said, kind of a mid-round guy to kind of, uh, you know, help you out. And, uh, this year in particular, none of them really stuck out that much. Uh, I mean, Ryan Finley, just with the North practice, he kind of had his best week of practice uh, yesterday on Thursday, I uh, was fairly accurate, got the ball out quick, um, showed that kind of decisiveness. Everybody, everybody's been talking about Drew Locke, of course, and I'm not the biggest Drew Locke fan. Uh, I, I feel like if you just look at his, for example, his career data, uh, he had a 49.54 out of 100 in terms of his career data, which doesn't really you know, enter into all pro or pro bowl potential. Um, it, it's like the closest sort of starting quarterback to him is a guy like Jake Cutler, and Jake Cutler had significantly better arm strength and just general arm talent. But with Locke, I mean, he, he definitely showed the ability to zip the ball and, and, and do those types of things in practice, but it was just inconsistent for me um, you know, throughout the week uh, with him. Uh, and, yeah, he, he may come out as, as, like, the best quarterback this week just in terms of, like, career arm strength. But I just kind of have issues with him because of just his career day and the other sort of aspects of the position. Uh, of course, Daniel Jones um, had probably one of the worst weeks of practices, um, especially on Thursday. He was throwing bricks uh, to steal a, a, a term from uh, you know, basketball. He, his, he was just inaccurate across the board for most of the day, um, especially when the wind picked up, too, because it was a little windy. It wasn't that windy, but it was it was windy-ish, and anytime the wind picked up a bit, it kind of caused his balls to kind of wobble and uh, not go where they needed to go. And Daniel Jones is another guy where you know, his career data, about 49.3 out of 100, um, his best single season, so his best season ever as a college football uh, player, 
was about 57.68 in terms of his uh, college production score um, for a single season. So he's not been having the best week. Uh, there was a little bit of hype going in on Tuesday that our early sort of headline was Daniel Jones versus Drew Locke. I I don't think it's even a contest at this point, um, <laughs> just in terms of what Locke was able to show. And just in terms of arm strength alone, you know, arm talent. I mean, Drew Locke definitely has arm talent. Um, but uh, I just feel like Daniel Jones just couldn't really bring it. Um, in terms of the South practices, uh, Will Greer kind of flashed on and off. Um, Will Greer was probably the best quarterback statistically coming into to, uh, Senior Bowl, and he didn't really do that well. I mean, he um, he definitely flashed some ability here and there to, to hit some you know anticipation throws, but uh, he... I don't know. He just didn't really wow anybody. He didn't wow me, you know, when I saw him. Uh, when it comes to Tyree Jackson, he's probably the guy that's been getting the most uh, Josh Allen comps. And it's not that surprising to me because Josh Allen was a guy who had a, a very, very bad, you know, very below average career production score. And Tyree Jackson has a you know, 22.34 career um, score at his position. So, very similar to these types. I mean, they're guys that are they're tall, they have good size, uh, and uh, they can, you know, throw the football really far down the field, but most of the time inaccurate most of the time. And at least with Tyree Jackson, he had a lot of issues in terms of not turning the football over, which was kind of an issue for him. I think there was one game in particular last year that I remember. He threw three interceptions in the first half, and for some reason they won that game. <laughs> uh, so it, he's... Uh, he, he's kind of a, a kind of a witchy watch kind of guy. And of course, the last guy I guess I'll mention is Six McSorley. He was another guy. He didn't have quite as bad of a week as Daniel Jones, but he definitely didn't show great arm talent. Um, some scouts down there kind of commented on his size uh, in terms of not being the biggest uh, quarterback ever. Uh, but I, I feel like more of the issues with him is just that he doesn't have quite the talent you're looking for in terms of arm talent, and he also was a little inaccurate at times during the week. Um, but if I was to say, like, winners for the week, I'm definitely Drew Locke was a big winner, and maybe Tyree Jackson was a big winner just because of the size profile, but those are that's really about it. This wasn't the most – I wasn't really wowed by most of the quarterbacks. Jim, real quickly, for anybody who doesn't know about your analytics scores and how you derive them, can you explain a little bit about that? Give us a little primer. Uh, sure. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the quarterback data, or at least when I talk about quarterback production data, at this time I'm taking the touchdown to interception ratio, the completion percentage of a player, and I'm doing a 10-year sample of that to give them a score. So basically you rank all the touchdown to interception ratios over a 10-year span, and you get a score. The same thing goes to the completion percentage, and then I add in a layer of strength of schedule score, which is also from College Football Reference. You just go to College Football Reference, type in strength of schedule, it kind of gives you their methodology there. Um, but essentially, it's, it's a general score that gives you an idea, okay, uh, at least how I look at it as is, one, are they able to not turn the football over that much, which is very important at the quarterback position. Two, are they able to complete passes? Because every time you complete a pass, you're increasing your chance of making a play. Because obviously, if the ball doesn't get completed, then it's a dead play, and you're not making any plays. Uh, and that restricts the schedule. Just gives you an idea of how tough the competition was. Um, because typically, if you play against a really tough 
competition and you perform really well against that competition, um, it says a lot about your quarterback, especially from the data side of things. That's why whenever there's a, a quarterback from the Conference USA who puts up crazy statistics, the strength of schedule kind of gives you a, a, a context for those for those stats um, so that you can kind of explore it a little bit more to see if these stats are real, like this is the, the real deal to have a quarterback, or if this is just a quarterback that played lesser competition and that's why his stats are so great. And that's what I like about the, the production data is um, it, it's really good in terms of analyzing those three main things. Um, and two, it's a sample that goes back to 1956. So every single quarterback that was drafted in the NFL draft since 1956 is in the sample. Um, so it gives you an idea of historically where guys typically produce at that level, you know, going back all that way. So it's the same, basically the same correlations of success show up in the 60s as the 70s, as the 80s, as the 90s, as today, then similar patterns will show up in the 2010. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We talked about quarterbacks. Now let's move to the guys that make the plays for the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the running backs, the tight ends. For the Jets, this is going to be an area of interest because Sam Darnold is going to need weapons. So even though they're probably not going to go wide receiver or running back or anything like that in the first round, you could see it happen in the third or fourth. Anybody that you saw that you liked, especially in that maybe third, fourth round range? Uh, Sure. I think wide receiver. Uh, running backs, and I don't really get too much into running backs, but I, I wasn't really enamored by any of the running backs this year. So wide receivers, uh, lots of wide receivers, lots of slot wide receivers. So if, if you are someone that likes to go to Vegas and play the slot machine, this is your type of wide receiver class in terms of the senior bowl. Uh, guys that kind of really stuck out, I mean, Penny Hart, to me, had the best week of practice. Out of everybody, he every time he caught the football, he he was fast, he was explosive, um, he was uh, feisty, aggressive, physical, uh, and I just think he just had a great all around uh, practice with them. Um, and Isabella, of course, just probably the most productive wide receiver out of all the guys from the this year. And while he did have a very good practice, maybe showed that he has great speed. Um, I do think that there was a lot of wasted movement. I think as some of the scouts that were down there kind of commented on is that 
he was taking a little bit too long to kind of get open. Um, he was trying to do too much, as we like to say, the analyst mixtape type stuff at the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, just trying to juke guys and spin around and do stuff like that. Um, which I think I, I I think he was doing it because it's the Senior Bowl, so you're trying to like show off, I guess, a bit in these types of drills. Uh, it's not something you're going to do in a real game. Um, and also his uh, he, his hands, he had a couple drops here and there that that were. Um, kind of gimme, so some people have kind of questions about his hands, but he still was solid this week. Uh, Debo Samuel uh, from uh, South Carolina is another guy that had a pretty decent uh, week. Uh, fast, great feet, uh, was able to get open a lot. Uh, people talked a lot about his battles with, with Rocky Sin, uh, who is a cornerback from Simple, uh, which is a great name, by the way. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he I mean, he had a, a great week uh, with Debo. I mean, uh, I, I personally like Hart more than, than Debo um, throughout the week, but I do think Debo definitely um, did the same. Hunter O from Clemson, who's been there for, like, forever, uh, has uh, also had a pretty decent uh, week of practices uh, as well. And, of course, the big name from at least Thursday's practice was Terry uh, McLaurin, uh, the wide receiver from Ohio State. I kind of look at him similar to Braxton Miller. I mean, the, the biggest thing that stuck out was speed. Um, and all of these barber receivers that I'm talking about, all of them could fly. I think Penny Hart easily could be a 4-3 guy when it comes to the combine, 4-3 to 4-4. Four, four. Uh, same thing with, with, say, Debo Samuel. Like, all these barber receivers had speed. It was, like, evident um, with all of them. So I think, you know, this isn't there wasn't any, like, big barber receivers that stuck out this week. You know, like big body, kind of Calvin Johnson esque kind of guys. But I do think, in terms of slot receivers or as complementary receivers, I think all those guys really stuck out. At this point, Renfro's been in college so long, he's probably older than half the coaching staff, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's surprisingly not, I mean, he's old, don't get me wrong, but he's not as old as you would think he should be. So that's, that's the thing I would say about him. Sometimes perception's reality, and it just feels like he's been there for a dozen years. But moving on, Jim, I want to ask you a little bit about the offensive line because that's going to be a huge area of interest for Jets fans in this draft. A lot of guys needed to surround Sam Darnold on that line. The Jets' offensive line was one of the weaker units in the league last year. Anybody you like there? Uh, sure. Uh, I, in terms of, I mean, Risner, uh, Dalton, Dalton Risner is probably the best offensive lineman here out of everybody. Um, it was very, I mean, he, he was physical. Um, he has great technique. Um, he, every time he hit the pads, there was a, a noticeable pop. As we like to say. I mean, that's one of the big things about going to these types of events is you really get a sense of the guys that have, you know, really powerful, you know, punches. I mean, he was one of the guys that had very, very powerful punch anytime he did the drills. As far as offensive tackle with him, I'm not quite sure about that position because if you just look at him at the practice, if he looks like a guard, I mean, from his height, his weight, his arm length, those other sort of measurables, he just kind of looks like a guard. But, you know, but you can play him a tackle. It's not that you can't play him a tackle. It's just his sort of frame and size that kind of screams uh, interior offensive line, even though he's played tackle for most of his career. So I think, the best sort of scenario for him is that he could play like a right tackle position at the NFL level where you give him some tight end help, I guess, 
so that when he does go up against uh, a edge rusher that has great length and great size, if you will, that he kind of has a little bit of help to do with other guys. But uh, but he pretty much was dominant this week. I mean, Risner was you know fantastic this week. Uh, Caleb McGarry from Washington was another guy that also did pretty well uh, during most of the drills. And uh, I think in terms of the south side of, of the offensive line position, um, Deshaun uh, Davis uh, did pretty well uh, during most of the week. Uh, and, uh, and of course, Titus Howard, who had some lapses here and there in terms of footwork, uh, but he definitely kind of showed that he could you know, if if he kind of puts it all together, um, he could be someone that could be potentially a starter. Let's shift to the defense now. You mentioned edge rushers. That's going to be another area of need. In fact, it's been an area of need for the Jets for over a decade. We know about the obvious names like Allen and Bosa, neither of whom are playing in this game. But was there anybody that you saw at Mobile that you think might fit the bill as somebody that could come in and be an impact rusher for the Jets or some other team? Uh, yeah, Montez Sweat. Uh, from Mississippi State, it's probably been the best head rusher this week. Uh, he's been powerful. He's been strong. Um, he hasn't really got guys with speed, but I, I just think he's a guy that, and he also had weight to him as well, because he, when he came in, he was about 255 pounds. Um, so he was a little, I'm not going to say he's undersized per se. He's not like Randy Gregory undersized. He's not like 235 pounds. But he is someone that could add weight to his frame and probably get even more powerful. Um, the only sort of issues I have with Sweat is, is speed. I think he's someone on film that may he may go to the combine and run like 4.8 or 4.7 uh, or something like that. But I just think that as a power rusher, I think you could get a lot of um, solidness with him. I mean, he's a guy that could easily turn himself into like an 8 to 9 sack a year type of guy. Or better, you know, you could have like a couple double-digit tax seasons here and there with him. So he was he was pretty decent. Um, Jalen Ferguson had also had a pretty decent week at losing attack. Um, he's more of a you know three-four outside linebacker rusher type at the position. I think the last guy which has been um, uh, Bonagu from TCU. He's another guy that's more of a a uh, a like a linebacker rusher, a rush linebacker type. Um, who also had a pretty decent week as well. He was fast, he was physical, um, and he also did pretty well in terms of uh, those type of, uh, uh, in terms of the one-on-one drills, he was pretty decent as well. What about defensive line and linebackers beyond the edge rushers? Sure. Uh, there was, I mean, there was a lot of guys, the linebackers in particular, I, this is like the first senior role I went to where I was really digging the linebackers this year. Uh, and Jermaine Pratt, uh, just physically speaking, when you when you look at Jermaine Pratt, when you go to the practices, he is physically impressive. Um, he's just rock solid, as as you know, guys like to say. But he's fast, physical. Um, he showed a lot of leadership as well. He was one of the guys during the week that uh, was very vocal. You know, kind of kind of high fiving guys and saying, you know, good job, you know, great hit. Uh, you know, every time somebody uh, did really well this week, he was going up. He was like the first one to go up to him and go, hey, that was a great play right there. So, you know, Pratt, I feel like, was the best linebacker out of here. But every linebacker was great, uh, at least in terms of the North practices. Uh, were pretty fantastic. The Notre Dame linebackers, you know, like uh, like Drew Tranquil, he, he was pretty decent as well. 
Um, Sutton Smith, I know, has gotten a lot of flack <laughs> this week because, I mean, he's really undersized. I mean, a lot of people coming in this week were thinking that he was going to be uh, bigger than what he was or that he was going to be an edge rusher. And you know, in terms of the one-on-one drills with the edge rusher, he did not do that well. But I do think as a linebacker, uh, he didn't do that poorly. I mean, he was able to pretty much do, in terms of going through the linebacker drills, in terms of doing a little bit of coverage and this and that, he's a little raw in that perspective because this is a guy who mainly, you know, kind of played with his hand in the dirt uh, for most of his career. Uh, but I, I do feel like there is definitely some potential with him there. In terms of interior defensive linemen, uh, guys like Renell Wren from Arizona State had a great week at sort of a nose tackle prospect. Uh, and I think the last, uh, Dalen Mack also had a pretty good week. Most of the guys that did really well in terms of interior defensive line were guys that I think are more of, uh, sort of gap protector type, uh, not guys that are really going to rush the passer or get in the backfield and do stuff like that. I think the closest thing to that is like Charles Aminahue, who had a great Tuesday practice, but then kind of disappeared on Thursday. So, um, he's, not to say that he's bad, it's just he didn't really stick out as much on, on Thursday as much as Tuesday, but, but I would say that most of the guys who really stick out in terms of interior defensive linemen were guys that are more going to be those complementary, you know, defensive players. The guys that are, they're not really going to be getting the sack, but they're going to be taking on double teams. Uh, they're going to be getting, uh, interior pressure, uh, not necessarily getting to the quarterback, but definitely getting that pressure up in the face because of how well they can use their power in your body. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The Jets seem to be set at safety with Adams and May, although May's had some injuries, so they could always use some depth there. And a cornerback, Tremaine Johnson, is a guy who's all but guaranteed to be a starter, if for no other reason than the fact that he's making a ton of money. So that's just the way it's going to be. But there are going to be openings there as far as backups and even perhaps a chance for somebody to come in and try to start because Morris Claymore is a free agent. So talk to me a little bit, Jim, about what you saw with the secondary in Mobile. Sure. In terms of, uh, you know, secondary players, quarterback wise, nobody really stuck out that much to me. I mean, even Rock Descend, uh, most people are kind of enamored with him just because of arm length. You know, because he was, he was one of the quarterbacks this year that had the longest arms. And he wasn't bad. I mean, he, he was pretty decent. He had some good battles with Debo, uh, Samuel, uh, during the week. He was, you know, he was one of the better wide receivers this week. Uh, but in terms of, like, safety, uh, a lot of the safeties had their ups and downs. I mean, guys like Nasir Adderley, who is a guy that a lot of people hyped up as a potential first rounder. I think he's more of a, you know, top 60 player than he is, uh, you know, a top 30 or a top 32 player. But Adderley had some ups and downs here and there, um, had some good coverages, also had some missteps. Uh, maybe lack of speed is definitely a question mark with him. I mean, we'll see how fast he runs at the combine and those types of things. But there definitely were some moments for guys that were faster than him were just not, he wasn't able to keep up with certain guys because of 
see, um, which was kind of noticeable during the practices. Uh, another guy, Juan Thornhill, was was another. Uh, he's probably the most productive safety coming into the week in terms of just statistics. And uh, he was solid. He didn't really do anything uh, amazing, uh, or if you will, but he, he definitely went through the drills pretty solidly. Uh, and I think the issue with safety with the senior bowl is it's really hard for them to stick out because unless you have that all 22 film uh, to kind of see how they kind of go through the practices uh, and just where they are in their position on the field, um, it's kind of really hard to determine what, what they're going to do. They also... They also don't really, they don't really get to tackle them much either, you know, especially during uh, uh, during team drills even. So it's kind of hard to really get a good grasp of, of some of the safeties because of those picks. It was kind of like Jonathan a- uh, a- Abraham from Mississippi State. He's another safety in this week that I liked on film. Um, he didn't really get to do much tackling, which I thought was one of the strong suits on film. Um, because, you know, when you're playing safety during these team drills, you're kind of, it's kind of like a locksmith for those guys. Uh, just certain extent. So, um, none of the cities really stuck out to me. Um, some had, you know, they had some good things here and good things there, but I do think that those three guys in particular, they at least showed either some physical traits or uh, just showed some uh, decent sort of movement skills in the league. Jim, any other players that we missed and also any good gossip that you heard while you were down in Mobile? Uh, gossip. That's the one thing I can say about the Senior Bowl is a lot of times uh, there are, I mean, people are frank. I mean, the, the, the closest thing I heard to gossip was Mike Vrabel, uh, the, uh, of course, the coach of the, the Titans, saying that uh, he's fine with the weather. It's football weather. So that's the only thing <laughs> I can really say uh, is, uh, is that, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not one of those people because there are a lot of people that go to these events and they kind of just want to walk around a bit and try to, to hear what they hear. And, and uh, well, the Jets said that uh, this defensive tackle is like, uh, I think I think one year when I went there in particular, uh, there, was a, there was a scout that compared a player to Manny's on a spoon, I think is how he put it, in terms of his body. Um, but this year in particular, not really. Um, so in terms of gossip and this and that, so... Um, a lot of times they're whispering and not really trying to let anybody hear anything. And I, I could, I'm not going to say I could care less how they feel about a prospect, but, um, you know, you could just check the tape. You can see which scouts are talking to who. And there's so much, I don't want to say Machiavellianness to it, but in terms of, you know, sometimes scouts are talking to a player to make people think that they like that player when they really don't like that player. Like, there's, there's so many head games going into it that it's, uh, it's kind of hard to decipher how people really feel about prospects sometimes. It's smokescreen season now with the draft coming up, so teams are doing whatever they can to get misinformation out there. And you are smart enough not to fall for it, Jim, so good for you. But <laughs> Some of these people are all out there reporting this person talked to this person, this person talked to that person. But like you said, a lot of it is misdirection. So glad that you were focusing on your work and getting some great observations for your book that's coming out. So before we go, if you could, tell me a little bit about that book. I know this is the third year that you're putting it out. I recommend that anybody who hasn't bought the first two years purchase this one if you're somebody who's interested in the draft. And also tell people where they can find you if they're unfamiliar with you. Uh, Sure. In terms of this book, I mean, this is the third year in the making. Uh, It is the only uh, NFL draft analytics guide. Uh, 
Uh, I think analytics is getting a bad rap. I mean, I I, I kind of, uh, maybe not a bad rap, but at least on draft Twitter, there seems to be a backlash. And it's the young guys, too, which I was very surprised by. It's kind of the younger scouts on, on draft Twitter that are kind of being anti-analytics, anti-data, all those sort of things. Um, and a lot of it, I just think, is because they don't understand it or they don't, um, you know, all they do is watch film so they don't take the time to kind of look at another way of evaluating prospects, if you will. But it's essentially the one-stop shopping when it comes to data at the NFL draft position. It, it will give you information on a player's age. It will give you information on a player's production. It will give you information on a player's height, weight, uh, arm length, hand size. And more importantly, it will give you the reasons as to why those things matter. Because I think the biggest issue with the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game and the Combine and all these other sort of events that, that are happening right now is you'll hear somebody talk about a guy who has 33-inch arm length or below 33-inch arm length. And some people say it's a negative. Some people say it's a positive. Or some people really don't care. But the bottom line is, is there's no context for that information. So you're just kind of guessing is what you're really doing. You're kind of going six foot seven. That's pretty tall. But what does it really mean in the grand scheme of things? And I think that's what the guy does. Is it gives you a perspective on what the numbers are for these players, like what the facts are on paper for these players, and what those facts mean in the long term. And, you know, this is a year where uh, I, you know, compiled a, a lot of information on a lot of different prospects, and I'm very excited to get that um, out there as soon as possible, uh, waiting on the combine to come up, waiting on the, the pro days to come up, of course, to get all the sort of relevant information about prospects. But um, it will be fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, this is my third year in a row doing it, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback from it. I'm excited about that. Of course, you can also follow me on Common Man Football on YouTube. This year in particular, I'm going to be doing more production profiles and data profiles on prospects than I did last year. Uh, mainly because I felt like I was holding back a little bit too much last year uh, because of the guys. Like, I was thinking if I put too many videos out, then I'll have less people wanting to buy the guy because they already got the information. When it was kind of the opposite. You know, a lot of times people bought my guy because they were seeing those videos and wanting to get more information. Um, so this year in particular, I'm, I'm really going to be trying to ramp up as many production profiles, as many data profiles that I possibly can on that channel. So if you guys are really into just data in general, production data, athleticism data, what it means, all of those sort of things, um, go to the Common Football Show on YouTube, and you'll have a long list. I think I have about uh, 50 to 60 videos up so far in terms of players in this class. Some of them are considered first-round picks. Some of them are kind of lesser-known names. Definitely check that out as well. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Geometric. That's probably the best place if you want to like contact me directly, uh, or if you have a question or whatever, just kind of go to Twitter and kind of leave me, you know, either tweet at me or, uh, or, or et cetera. So that's also the other place you can go to kind of contact me if you want to get more information. And you'll hear more from Jim on this podcast as the draft approaches because we're going to be doing some prospect profiles, guys that we think the Jets may pick at number three or even if they trade down a couple of spots. And like last year when we were profiling the quarterbacks, Jim will come on to help us look at the analytics of these prospects. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him again. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Make sure that you're watching him on YouTube, the Common Man Football Show. And, of course, above all else, 
Be sure to purchase his draft analytics guide. Like he said, it is the only draft analytics guide out there. So if you care about getting a complete picture of the NFL draft, that is something you need to own. It'll be out a couple of weeks before the draft. Follow Jim on Twitter for more information on that, but make sure you get yourself a copy. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow with Chris Nimbley. We'll be talking the latest news and taking your questions as well. In the meantime, go ahead and follow Jim on Twitter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.